going through what we call our standard sheet, standard of conduct for officers and workers. And uh, <clears throat> we talked about uh, faithful attendance. We talked about uh, Bible reading, daily time of Bible reading and prayer. And then last week, I kind of laid a groundwork for, um, it's really a point number two, refrain from the following activities. And of course, it lists several things. But first one we're going to look at is this area of dress. Um, of course, this is a very unpopular topic nowadays. Um, you know, I've heard some preachers say it's a dead issue. We don't talk about it here anymore. I heard other preachers say that it's, it's just too divisive. Um, but I, my contention is that it's still in the Bible. And uh, we're to even teach what Jesus referred to as the least commandments. If our righteousness is going to exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, we've got to teach and practice even what it's considered the least commandments. Now, this this might be a minor commandment, but it has major ramifications, which all minor ones do. Um, so anyway, Genesis chapter one. You know, we 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 what we looked at last week and laying the groundwork for this was Romans twelve one and two, which says, "I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a." living sacrifice, so we're to yield our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy holy and acceptable unto God, not what's acceptable to us, but what's acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your minds. So we've got to change our thinking, our minds, and bring them in a, into agreement with the word of God. So by the renewing of our mind that you may prove or live out what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So that's what we ought to desire for our life is to, uh, to, to live out God's perfect will. And, of course, this issue um, <clears throat> that we're seeing today is, and, and the lack of it, as we're going to look at tonight, has been the cause of a great immoral landslide in our country. Um, anyway, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and all, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him Male and female created he them. So let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for this opportunity that we have to look on your word tonight. I pray, Father, that you help us to rightly divide thy word. And Lord, help us to, again, uh, search the scriptures. And I pray that you would help us to have open minds and hearts to receive what you would have for us. And we allow the Spirit of God to teach us and instruct us and to transform our minds into the image of our Lord and the Savior, Jesus Christ, that we might do that perfect will of God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I call this by God's design. I've entitled this, by God's design. Yeah, ever since sin came into the world, in the Garden of Eden, 
men and and women have been in rebellion against God. And the distinctions that God has set, in other words, distinctions simply means differences, that God has set between men and women. You know, we hear this constantly today. We're all created equal. We're all equal. We're all on the same plane. Well, we are all created equal. You know, just because, uh, you know, we all, we all are created equal. But we were created different in form and appearance and given different roles to fulfill in life in this world. And these are God-given for the benefit of all mankind. One, you know, doesn't mean that men are more important than women are. Or it doesn't mean that men are smarter or have more knowledge than women do. It has nothing to do with it. It really has nothing to do with it. It's just that these are things that God has set. So God in creation uh, set a difference between the genders. He created them male and female. And, of course, you know, the push is becoming uh, more and more popular and more and more powerful to totally eliminate that distinction and differences between the sexes. You know, even my wife was commenting the other day, and I've seen two of them now. You know, um, <clears throat> men and, what's it say, men and women. Uh, a woman can do anything a man could do. And then it says, including get heart disease and something else. I forget what, you know. Um, so, so we see this everywhere. Now, as you think about the differences or the distinctions that God has made, uh, particularly as an appearance, and that's what we're going to be looking at tonight, there's, there's two areas that, of distinction, and that is, one is dress and the other is hair. Um, there are more things about dress, and we'll get into more of that next Sunday, Lord willing, but you know, there's, there's an area of modesty and shamefacedness. Modesty has to do with arrangement being orderly arranged. Uh, shamefacedness has the idea of, of, of shame, or uh, it's word, really the word of shamefastness has the, the idea of, of shame or being embarrassed to appear certain ways before men is the idea there, shamefacedness, um, having to do with women's apparel. But the other, of course, is distinction. This is the one that's mostly overlooked is the distinct, distinction part. Uh, so, so that's what we want to look at particularly tonight is this idea of distinction. And, of course, you know, God created us male and female. And, and these differences, you know, have been consistently demonstrated by, and again, because God offered them, authored them. And we need to give God, you know, if we're, if we're his children, we need to give God his rightful place in our lives. And uh, uh, even though the world constantly attacks, you know, the world says that there's no physical differences between a man and a woman. Now, I'm not trying to be crude here, but if you put a man and a woman up here without anything on, would there be physical differences? Obviously. And there are other. David Cloud had an excellent article, and it's titled The Physiological Differences Between Men and Women. 
Uh, and it, of course, he's, you know, the Huffington Post said, gleefully reported, the whole men are from Mars and women are from Venus trope is false. Of course, that's, you know, the lying Huffington Post where most false news comes from. But anyway, uh, he, and there's a, he, he goes on to quote another group that says, as a group, quote, women do not run, jump, or swim as fast as men. Women are also more prone to certain types of athletic injuries than men. The mean difference has been about 10% between men and women for all events. The mean gap is 10.7% for running, 8.9% for swimming, 17.5% for jumping. And that comes from livestrong.com. He um, says, women are smaller in stature than men. The average 18-year-old man is 70.2 inches tall and weighs 144.8 pounds, whereas the average woman of the same age is 64.4 inches tall and weighs 126.6 pounds. Uh, and that comes from the U.S. Army Physical Training Regulations. Uh, women have significantly less crushing strength in their hands than men. Researchers at the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee found that an average adult males between the age of 20 and 24 generate 121 pounds of crushing grip strength in their right hands, and women in that same age group had 70 pounds of grip strength in their right hands. And that comes from the Archives of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation. Uh, women have about 10% more body fat than men. Men accumulate fat primarily in the back, chest, and abdomen. Women gain fat in the buttocks, arms, and thighs. Also, because the center of gravity is lower than women than men, women must overcome more resistance and activities that require movement of the lower body. Women's hearts are about 25% smaller than men's. Thus, the man's heart can pump more blood with each beat. Thus, for any given work rate, the faster rate, heart rate means that most women become fatigued sooner than men. You know, women have about 30% less, percent less lung capacity than men. This gives men still another advantage in the process of oxygen and do aerobic work, such as running. Uh, <clears throat> women have less oxygen-carrying capacity than men. The women's blood contains 20% fewer blood cells. And on and on and on. You know, there's just difference after difference after difference. God made us different. Not only in appearance, but our physical makeup. God made us for certain roles. And to fill certain things. But you know the world wants to. Of course in rebellion against God. And these differences he's made. He, they want to try and tell us. That there's no physical differences. That they're minimized. That, the, that women can do anything in sports that men can do. Although these transgender people. Are starting to get a little alarmed. Because you know there's. Boys that have become girls. That are now competing in girls events. And cleaning their clocks. They're not happy with that. But what did they expect? As a general rule, men are bigger, have bigger hearts, bigger lungs. So what do they think they're going to do? They're going to whip them. You know, there are exceptions to every rule, but as a general rule, that's what's going to happen. Um, of course, they, you know, the world says strengths and weaknesses are minimized. Positions are ignored. For example, in marriage, we went 50-50. But God has set some positions in marriage. Um, look at 1 Timothy chapter 2. <clears throat> Again, these are, these, are, these are things that God has set. <clears throat> and they've, they have worked for thousands of years, but all of a sudden, they are no good. 
1 Timothy 2, verse 11 says, Let the women learn in silence with all subjection, but I suffer not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. For Adam was first formed, then Eve. And Eve was not deceived, but the woman being... De- I'm sorry, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity, holiness with sobriety. So what he's really saying is that women, women role is in the home. Uh, Titus chapter 2, verses 3 through 5, confers with this, that the age of women... Likewise, that to be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. You know, we even have nowadays men who stay home with the kids and ladies go to work. Um, role reversals. And, and what this really is, this, this, this attack against God's authority, is the refusal to accept the results of the curse. What did God tell Eve after she sinned? That she was going to have pain and sorrow in childbirth, and her desire would be to her husband, and he would what? Rule over her. Rule over her. And of course, our appearance and the appearance today of people reflects this rebellion. Now, I want to go over to Deuteronomy 22.5. This is, this is the main passage that speaks to this. Of course, there are others, but uh, Deuteronomy 22.5. This is, this is probably one of the most detested scriptures in the Bible. But it shouldn't be. Deuteronomy 22.5 says this, The woman shall not wear that which pertaineth unto man, neither shall a man put on a woman's garment. For all that do so are an abomination unto the Lord thy God. Now, you know, and again, the unfortunate thing in our society, although this is changing too, this deals mostly or affects the women the most. Um, although there are men nowadays that seem to like to wear women's clothes. I know some of you women are going. When we were in Maine, one day my wife and I were in downtown Bangor. And we were driving down the street. And all I said, and I said, look at that. That, because it was a man with a white skirt and a black purse and hairy legs. Yeah. But anyway, but it was a, well, he at least looked, you know, he was supposed to be a man. And he's wearing a lady's skirt. In Australia, they've had parades of men wearing skirts. When Australia had the Olympics some years ago, there was a parade of men wearing skirts, ladies' skirts. You know, so this verse pertains to that too. Addresses the same thing: man's not to put on a woman's garment. You know, First Corinthians nine or six talks about the effeminate 
And that's the idea there of soft, feminine things, of man desiring feminine things. Um, so, as, and as we consider this verse, the question that often comes up is, is this applicable for today? Or is it just some Jewish law? Um, you know, there are some laws given in the Old Testament that were ceremonial or civil, had to do with the governing of, of, of life, everyday life of the Jewish people, which does not apply today. Um, <clears throat> Colossians 2.14 tells us that, he, that Jesus nailed these ordinances, uh, nailed them to his cross. You know, these ordinances had to do with the religious exercise and the religious life of the Israelite people. And for example, there's, there's some of those things right here in this chapter. For example, chapter 22, verse 8. When thou buildest a new house, then shalt make a battlement for thy roof, that thou bring not blood upon thine house, if any man fall from thence. Verse 10. Thou shalt not plow with an ox or an ass together. Um, look at chapter 14. Deuteronomy chapter 14. You know, another, another thing that's that is along the same lines is the dietary laws. Deuteronomy 14, verse 7. <clears throat> Nevertheless, these you shall not eat of them that chew the cud, or of them that divide the cloven hoof, as the camel and the hare and the coney, for they chew the cud, but they divide not the hoof. Therefore they are unclean unto you. And the swine, because it divideth the hoof, yet cheweth not the cud, it is unclean unto you. Ye shall not eat of their flesh, nor touch their dead carcass. These ye shall eat of all that are in the waters, all that have fins and scales ye shall eat. And whatsoever hath not fins and scales, ye may not eat, it is unclean unto you. Now there's a similar passage to that over in Leviticus chapter 11. In Leviticus chapter 11 he says, These things are an abomination unto you. Now, we know from the New Testament that we can eat anything. Remember that in Acts chapter 10, Peter's, I think he's on the housetop praying, and he has this vision. And there's a sheet let down from heaven. And on it, every living creature you could think of. And the voice says, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Peter said, not so, Lord. I've never eaten anything unclean. So there were things that were an abomination to the Jew on that sheet. That were unclean to them on that sheet. And the Lord said, rise, Peter, kill and eat. It happened three times. Then it went back up to heaven. And then in 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul talked about those who that the Spirit speaketh especially in the latter times, that there be some that would depart from the faith, commanding to abstain from meats. And he said, anything's to be received with thanksgiving. Every creature. He uses every creature there. So the dietary laws are out. We're not under those. But this command, or this law in Deuteronomy 22.5, notice it doesn't say it's an abomination unto you. It says it's an abomination unto the Lord thy God. Now, there are some other things that are abomination unto the Lord thy God, homosexuality. You know, see, this is one of those moral commands. 
you know, Exodus 20:13 says, Thou shalt not kill. Is that still in force? Yes, it is. In fact, Jesus said, if you're angry with your brother, you're in danger of hellfire. Uh, Exodus 20:15, Thou shalt not steal. Yes, that's still in force. Uh, Deuteronomy 22:30, where it says, A man shall not take his father's wife, nor discover his father's skirt. You know, that, that's, that's part of God's moral law. That's still in force. We're still to obey that. And the same is true of Deuteronomy 22.5. And so, in the context here, it has to do with their appearance, their, our dress. So this truth, that dress should signify the difference, transcends time, place, and culture. Now, not all cultures are the same as ours. You know, even in Bible times, and people will argue this with you, well, now wait a minute, preacher. In Bible times, they all wore robes. They all looked the same. No, they didn't. It is true, they all wear robes or tunics. But they were different. They were different. Um, look at 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 9. <clears throat> 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 9. 1 Timothy 2 9 says, In like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broidered hair or gold or pearls or costly array. Now notice it says that women also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel. The word apparel there is katastole. That's the Greek word. And, and it means it means a garment let down. It's a garment that's let down. Now, so that was a woman's garment. But a man's garment was called a stole. In other words, it was a garment that was not. So there was a clear distinction and a difference between a man's garment, even in Bible times, and a woman's garment. Um, and these differences still exist. And, 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 and culture, many times, tells us what those differences are. And, of course, in our culture, you, know, you see that difference when you go to the bathroom in a public place. You ever have any problems identifying what a man is supposed to go into? And what a woman's supposed to go into? Of course, nowadays, you know, I don't know what they're putting on them for transgender bathrooms. But, but um, uh, you know, th this is, you know, God, God created that distinction. And it is consistent uh, with New Testament teaching. Of course, in appearance, uh, position, and duty and responsibility, we looked at some of those things as, as well. Um, and, and, and God says that, that, to reject this is an abomination. It's something that's disgusting. It's an abhorrence. It's, of course, this is strong language. You know, some other things that are abomination, homosexuality, idolatry, whoredom, sorcery, which is witchcraft, incest, and, of course, wicked living, Proverbs 16, uh, 16 through 20, includes a proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed into some blood, wicked imaginations, and, and uh, false witness, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. So, 
So all these things, and he said, this is an abomination. And, and you know, as we think about this distinction that God has set, um, again, this is not a regulation confined to a certain time period or a certain people. This moral law is eternal. John Walford, in his commentary on this verse, says, quote, The adoption of clothing of the opposite sex was forbidden because it obscured the distinction of the sexes and thus violated an essential part of the created order of life. It was also perhaps associated with or promoted homosexuality. The same Hebrew word was translated detests, a detestable thing, is used to describe God's view of homosexuality. Also, some evidence exists that transvestism, that's cross-dressing, may have been connected with the worship of pagan deities, since this law was related to the divine order of creation, since God detests anyone who does this, believers today also ought to heed this command, unquote. So again, this, this, this moral law encompasses all people of all time. You know, the Baptist commentary says this, the text teaches that Israel is to maintain a clear-cut distinction between the sexes. It was thus necessary that the clothing, as well as other things which pertain to one, must not be utilized by the other. Pertaineth, from the noun, kele, or kela, instrument, vessel, also translated armor, wares, weapon, jewel, stuff, thing, tool. The term denotes not only clothing, but also implements tools, utensils, and all such items as are commonly used by a man. This is a regulation which pertains to morality. And anything which tends to remove the distinction between the sexes is an abomination to God. Customs of dress differ from one era to another and from one country to another. But orderly societies of all ages and countries have clear-cut distinction between the sexes. In these countries, it is natural and immoral, it is unnatural and immoral to obliterate the man-woman roles. Those societies which do eliminate these roles are generally licentious. The modern unisex look and liberated society are evidence of a declining morality which is contrary to God's righteous principles. Some object, object to the fact of distinction between the sexes. They say it implies that one is better than, than or superior than another. But nothing in scripture or in the natural world teaches that different is better, unquote. So again, it's not a matter of one's better than the other. It's we're different. God made us different. And he wants us to be distinctly different. So, you know, the danger... As we think about the danger of uh, associated with neglecting this, uh, this blurring, the, the distinction, it, of course, it's living, living, God considers it living in disobedience, an abomination to God, and it's a consequence, one of the consequences is, is um, impurity. Uh, so now let's, let's look at the other area, and that is the, the issue of hairs. We're thinking about distinction here. Distinction. Uh, go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 
1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of every woman is the man, and the head of God, Christ is God. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonoreth his head. But every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered dishonoreth her head, for that is even all one as if she were shaven. For if the woman be not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it be a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, let her be covered. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, forasmuch as he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of the man. For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. For this cause ought the woman to have power on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, neither is the man without the woman, neither the woman without the man in the Lord. For as the woman is of the man, even so is the man also by the woman, but all things of God. Judging yourselves, is it comely that a woman pray unto God uncovered? Doth not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it is a shame unto him? But if a woman have long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given her for a covering. But if any seem to be contentious, we have no such custom, neither the churches of God. So, again, the issue here is not equality. It's about position of authority or headship. That's what this is about. Uh, and, of course, he says that the, the head of the man is Christ and the head of the woman is the man. And how they demonstrate or show this is by hair length. Um, you know, verse 13 says, Judging yourselves, is it comely? The word comely means fitting. Does it seem fitting for a woman that a woman pray unto God uncovered? Doth not even and then it talks about the man. Doth not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it is a shame unto him? Now the word. Now people say, I had I had a guy say to me one time. Well, it's just a shame. That's no big deal. No, the word shame here means vile. In other words, it's disgusting to God. It's not just an embarrassment. You know, when we say something, you know, it's kind of a shame. We just think, well, it's just kind of embarrassing. No, it's not just an embarrassment. It's vile. God hates it for a man to have long hair. Um, and, and again, it's, it's all about position of authority, not equality. It has nothing to do with equality. We're created equal in the sight of God. And again, 1 Timothy 2, verses 12 through 14, talk about the same thing. We looked at that already, but I'm going to go back there again. First Timothy 2, verse 12, But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. For Adam was first formed, then Eve. So that was the order of the creation. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression, notwithstanding she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. So, again, this is about authority or position you have God 
You have Christ, you have the man, and you have the woman. You know, our ultimate authority is God. Now, some people will take this to an extreme. This, this authority is hierarchical. That is, that is, you know, our ultimate authority is God, but God has an order of authority that he has set for, um, uh, for mankind and uh, for harmony in mankind. And, and that is, the man is to be the head of the woman. When I had this question put to me, Does a man have more authority over his wife than God does? Now, I almost got in the flesh. Because I wanted to say, what a blasphemous thought. And what arrogance for a man to even consider such a thing. You know, if you read the Bible carefully, you're going to understand that, that God puts us under different authorities. Government is an authority that we're to be under and we're to submit to. Romans 13 tells us that very clearly. But when that authority goes beyond its God-given role, guess who you're to obey? Not that authority, but the higher authority, which is God. An example of that would be Peter and John. They said, we ought to obey God rather than men. Now, and, and, and they were being, now we have to be careful with this because you know, submission is an attitude. It wasn't they were just being rebellious against the government. They were willing to submit to the government. And they were submissive, but they said, you know, God has commanded us to do this and we must do it. We must do it. You know, we're not trying to be rebellious. We're not trying to dis disobey your command. But we can't obey this command. Just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego couldn't obey the command Nebuchadnezzar gave them. Why? Because it would, it flew in the face of God. It would have been offense against God, a higher authority. So, so we, you know, one of the distinctions of the sexes, again, of course, is dress, but also hair. Hair, long hair in a woman is a symbol of her submission, an acceptance of her position and distinction that God has made between men and women. You know, this is, I had a good illustration of this one time. We had a uh, couple that was going to meet us to watch fireworks. This is when we lived back in Maine. And they told us, and it gave us an idea of where they were going to be to see the fireworks. And so we drove down there, and we're looking for them. We're looking for a man and a woman. And we saw these two people standing on a corner, but it was, it was some distance. And, but we didn't think they were a man and a woman. You know why? Because he had pants on, she had pants on. He had short hair and she had short hair. 
So we couldn't tell until we got really close. You see, that is confusing. That is blurring the lines of distinction that God has set. God wants us, God wants us to someone to be able to look at us and say, that's a woman, and that's a man. And not have to get up close and examine what you are. Now, a couple things here I want to mention. You know, we need to have a sweet spirit about it and be submissive to the Lord. But we need to be willing to follow God's word no matter what the cost. You know, Matthew 6, says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand. Set your affections on things above, not on things of the earth. Secondly, we need to be willing to put Bible principle above personal gain or convenience. Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, verse 7, What things were gained to me, those I count lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. You know, we need to lay aside the idea of what's convenient and say, Lord, what's right? Your Brother Hoyle brought out a very good point in Sunday class, and it was last week about the high places that Israel built. Now they built these high places, and at first they were still worshiping the Lord there. At least they said they were. But God detested it. You know why? Because it was not God's appointed place of worship. You see, what it meant to them was convenience. It was more convenient. It was easier. It was without cost. And so we must put Bible principle above personal gain or convenience. You know, God, again, God has set these distinctions. And then we need to also strive for consistency. Um, be consistent. Don't make exceptions. There's no need to. You know, I, I, of course, I grew up in a farm. And so I've heard farm people say, well, yeah, you can't do this, and yeah, you can't do that. Then, hey, I've seen women milk cows. 
his skirts or culottes. You can do a lot of things. And maybe there's just some things you should not do. I'm going to be honest with you. I have a trouble with the woman being a truck driver. But I know some that are. You know, there are some things that God has made male and other things female. And God wants us to maintain those distinctions in our dress, in our hair, and even our roles we play in life. It is for the good of our society. You know, is our society better as a result of this unisex movement we're seeing? Or is it more corrupt? I think the answer is really kind of obvious. Might God help us to allow him to transform our minds, to have the mind of Christ, and seek to obey him, even in things that seem minor, but have major ramifications.